First Corinthians chapter three. Um, <laughs> the Corinthians were doing something like this. They weren't sanitizing, <laughs> but they were separating, but not for the right reasons. <laughs> they were uh, separating for wrong reasons, weren't they? And uh, they had they had three three or four groups in the church, and I imagine as they met. Now, we, we, when we think of church. When you think of church, what do you think of? Dinners. Sorry? <laughs> sinners. Sinners. <laughs> okay. dinners. Dinners. Oh, dinners. Oh, right. <laughs> He's a Baptist. Okay. Oh, Vivian thinks of that too, don't you? Yeah, that's how he was introduced to our church. And every time he seemed to turn up, there was a dinner on. <laughs> okay. When you think of church, what should you think? You think? Spiritual food, worship, worship. Fellowship. fellowship, yep, round, round, people, but oftentimes we think of, we're talking about this morning, building, a place, and that's what, we just use that word, we're going to church, we're going to a place, but it's a, it's people, isn't it, and um, <clears throat> have you ever been in a church you didn't know, but it was a divided church. The people were divided, and you you went in, you didn't know, and you sat with the wrong group. It wasn't the pastor's group. It was another group. And afterwards you realise, whoops, that's not what it should be. There should be a unity in the church. And uh, praise the Lord uh, that it can be so. And this is what Paul was dealing with, is with this church here. Um, and he was trying to get them to see that this was wrong to have, you know, Paul's group, was Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? And this is, you know, Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of, I'm of Peter, I'm of Cephas. And so, no, no, no. <laughs> and Paul approached this problem of contentions and divisions in the church through saying we're unified in Christ. We're in one body. He reminded of you were baptized into Christ, not into any individual. And uh, <clears throat> we're in the one body through the cross. And this is what he's approaching tonight in verses 18 to 25. We're through the one gospel. There's only one gospel, isn't there? There is no two gospels. And there is, there is another gospel that's uh, not the gospel of Christ that you've come through the key idea here is that we dare not mix man's wisdom with God's revealed message their preaching Christ and him crucified is contrasted with the wisdom of man and these Corinthians were bringing their old mindset the wisdom of man in thinking through things through their own wisdom and, and using that instead of the centrality of the gospel of Christ and Paul is suggesting here giving suggestions on the preaching of the gospel of Christ it brings things to one to one point people we are we we all come through this the gospel of Christ into the body of Christ into the one body let's pray thank you Lord for your word and thank you for the centrality of the gospel to the church of Jesus Christ, to the true body of Christ. 
Lord, and as you build your body, great, grand, and glorious, pure, and holy, uh, Lord, you bringing it to be a bride for yourself for eternity, may you add to the body today as souls get saved, as young people grow and understand and comprehend the gospel, that the Lord Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for their salvation. May you add that one and another in another country, in another place, in another family, in another church, and build the bride of Christ. And may there be rejoicing in heaven over a sinner, a soul that repents and is drawn by yourself, to yourself, to be part of that. And may we rejoice when souls get saved as well. Bless us now as we consider Paul's preaching and teaching on this subject. And may we not use worldly wisdom and our own wisdom in coming to conclusions, but your way, your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> and there's quite a bit here as Paul opens the truth of this message to us tonight. Christ sent me, he said in verse 17, as he introduces this thought, not to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of man's words, lest the, Christ, the cross of Christ should be of no effect. He's, not even Paul in all his learnedness said not with the wisdom of words but with the power of Christ. He said in verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. So what do the unsaved think of the cross? It's ridiculous. They ridicule it. It is foolishness to them. Man by nature is so proud, so self-righteous, that he is blind. He claims you can earn heaven by works. You don't need new birth. He claims you can earn heaven. You can work your way in. So when a religion presents the way of salvation by works, he gladly accepts that way, and most religions do it that way. They present a work salvation. Tell me, can you think of a, sal a religion that presents a work salvation? Yep. The Catholic is the, the chief offender in this area, isn't it? That you can work. How do they say you can work your way to, to, to heaven? Hail Marys. Pay money. Pay, pay money, indulgences. It's, it's all, it comes right back to that, doesn't it? You can, you can pay for somebody that's died to get them out of purgatory. Isn't that a motive? You can get one of your relatives out of purgatory by paying indulgences for them. Oh, that's, that's, that's cruel. That's, that's wicked. You can uh, crawl up and flay yourself. You can crawl up the steps until your knees bleed for salvation. You can kiss the, the, the statutes of, of former saints so that you can earn your way to heaven. No, it's what does the Bible say? For by grace are you saved through faith and it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. <laughs> it's by grace through faith. In just over in chapter 2 of Corinthians and verse 14, we read, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. They think it's foolish that you can't earn your way to heaven. 
neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. They can't get it. They're spiritually discerned. They're thinking naturally. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yea, he himself is judged of no man. So they are spiritually discerned. They can't get the point that it's by faith. And it has been way back, way back from Abel, Cain and Abel. What did Cain say? You can work your way to heaven. You know, no doubt what Cain put, the spread he put out there of the works of his hands and the fruit that he grew looked wonderful. The spread was great. Can you imagine being near the Garden of Eden, not in the Garden of Eden, with all the pristine things that were around at that time and no, not much contamination, not many grubs and bugs multiplied and no many disease, not many diseases, the fruit that he produced at that time. You know, we think we've got something good. The grapes of Eskul, the two men bearing one bunch, imagine the, the food that he produced. And it was all produced and he laid it out there and God rejected. And when God rejected, what did he do? He got very angry. How dare you reject all the works of my hands for the way of salvation? And he looked over at his, his brother's messy sacrifice. He looked at it as a blood sacrifice. A bloody way, he thought, to be received. God accepted Abel's sacrifice. But mine and all the effort I put in, and you accept that? And, and what was the consequence? He killed his brother. You see, that's how angry people get when God does not accept their way of salvation. Even religious people get angry and they ridicule and they think it's absolute foolishness that God would have that way. I don't need and I ever, ever remember that the comment of that person in the Baptist Union of Victoria that said, I don't need some man dying for me and shedding his blood for my salvation thought that is blasphemy isn't it and it, it notice what it says there them that perish foolishness them that perish for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish should not perish what does perish mean and there's other foolish people who say perish doesn't mean perish. <laughs> they say it means annihilation. We say it means what? Eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. What does the Bible say? What does God say? <clears throat> this doesn't mean cessation of consciousness or conscious existence or consciousness. This means, you know, these people are willing to accept what everlasting means when it says everlasting life. You know? <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth him hath everlasting life. They accept that. But they won't take the perishes mean everlasting punishment, will they? But what does the Bible say? Let's have a look at a few verses. Turn to 2 Thessalonians <clears throat> chapter 1 and verse 9. Who shall be punished 
with everlasting destruction. It says everlasting life in John 3.16. You're willing to accept that? Of course we are. You know, <clears throat> but then they don't accept the everlasting destruction, which means everlasting destruction. <laughs> it doesn't mean everlasting annihilation. That doesn't make sense from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Believe one thing, believe the other. You have to accept both. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 through to 11, it says, The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in their forehead or in their hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation and shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for ever and ever, and they have no rest day and night, who worship the beast and his image, whosoever receiveth his mark, the mark of his image. What did it say there? Is that annihilation? When it means when it's talking about perishing and being tormented, it says forever and ever and ever. It's for eternity. It's eternal. It's not annihilation. It means forever and ever. In Matthew 25 and verse 41, it says this, In the word of God, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Everlasting means everlasting. It doesn't mean to perish and annihilate something doesn't mean putting a log on the fire and after a while it just disappears. No, it's everlasting fire that goes on forever. And in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9 and verse 44, and it repeats it again in verse 48, it says this, Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, it goes on everlasting. And so those that ridicule the Gospel of Christ and call it foolishness will perish not not be annihilated but will be judged forever in something that's called everlasting and goes on for eternity and people don't get the seriousness and they ridicule and call it foolish the gospel the seriousness of eternal punishment to God that they would see that they're hanging over hell on a thin thread the thin thread of a heartbeat and they're only one heartbeat away from eternity And that's some of our loved ones and some of our friends and our family that are in that terrible, terrible position. And that's why, as we've been saying over and over again the last few Sunday mornings, if only they would wake up and God is long-suffering with them and has been for thousands of years to this world and his strange and short work is judgment that the world would wake up so what do the unsaved think of the cross they think it's foolishness they mock, they laugh, they jeer they say you go to church what a waste of time they say your family might be saying it to you I'm not saying you'll have the last laugh because it won't be a laughing matter. It's not really a laughing matter, is it? It 
it'll be time, as it were, of sorrow that they haven't repented. But they can, can't they? What, what, the thief on the cross, he repented at the last minute. <laughs> and a lot of people whose loved ones die at the last minute hang on and cling to a hope that they got saved at the last minute. And, and pray to God they did, and they hang on to that hope. A, li- a, li- a lively hope. <laughs> I got one of my relatives who... Who's, who's, all their family it seems didn't repent but they hang on to the hope of a dad that did the dad lived into his 90s he, he, he had a nurse in his last years for years look after him in his home I'm not going to say names I have to be careful what I say who was a Christian. Day after day went to his house and cared for him and gave him food. He didn't eat much, he drank most. But testified and testified and testified. (laughs) Isn't God gracious to someone like that? God is good. They may ridicule him all their life, but God at the end is good in giving them somebody to tell them about the Lord even though they ridiculed him. And the Lord looked down from the cross, and what did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If only they would know what I'm doing for them, and turn. And one soldier said, surely he was the Son of God. Maybe that guy repented and got saved. Maybe he's in heaven and will have to... Go and shake his hand one day. You did realise. You turn. You stop ridiculing. You stop parting his garments. I wonder if he's, he's one that got the garment <laughs> and tra- cherished it from then on <laughs> and said, I got it, but I know who he is now. <laughs> I wore his garment. Oh, I don't know. You know, all those speculations we could say. But let's look then. What is the cross to them that believe in verse 18? To them that perish, it's foolishness, but... Unto us who are saved, it's what? The power of God unto salvation. Well, that in Romans um, one sixteen, it talks about that. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said, for it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believed. It, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of God. And did Paul know about that? (laughs) He did, surely. On the road to Damascus, the light shone about him and he got saved instantly. (laughs) Who art thou, Lord? And he got saved. The power of God unto so. There is only two responses to the preaching of the cross, is there not? Only two responses to the preaching of the cross. In First John, no, I think John chapter one, John chapter one, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, there is the reception of the gospel, and there is the rejection. There's only two responses: receive or reject and ridicule. How have you responded to the gospel? Have you received? 
or rejected the gospel, young people? Have you received or have you rejected the message that's been given to you by your Sunday school teachers, by your mum and dad, by your camp leader, by the preacher, whoever it is that's given it over and over again? You know, familiarity breeds what? Contempt. You just hear it and hear it and it goes in in here and out there and in here and out there. That's the danger. I think I can say his name. He wouldn't mind me quoting him. Remember Marcus? I haven't heard from him for a while. Marcus, you'll have to ring me up. (laughs) Marcus Muller. He lived one, two doors up here. And remember he used to come with um, Melissa, his, his, his sister. They used to hold hands and, and they come in, in here to church. They come to church, Sunday school, or come to church to youth group. And uh, he, he keeps in contact with Colleen. He got saved. He got really saved. <laughs> He's now a chaplain in the army. What, what is he, a captain? I, He's a chaplain. He's a chaplain, but yeah, he, he went right up. High up, served in Afghanistan and all that. You know what he said? He said, Pastor, I don't understand that people in this church who are raised in Christian families reject the gospel. And here I am, a man going the other way from a non-Christian family, are glad to receive it. I understand it. I'm, and, and I'm fighting against a family that doesn't necessarily believe it. He said, why do they do that? They either receive it or reject it. Hey, if you're from an unsafe family and you've believed it, praise the Lord. You've seen the light and you've, rece- you've not rejected it as others. It is sad, isn't it? And how much weightier will be the judgment of those who've had the opportunity and let it slip and not believed? There's the other ways of looking at it. We can go back to 2 Thessalonians where we we were before and looked at verse 9, but in verse 8, there's the two responses. You can obey it or you can disobey it, very much like receiving or rejecting it. We're in chapter 1 of Second Thessalonians, verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can obey it or you can disobey it. You see, this is a matter of obedience and disobedience, isn't it? Young people, you can obey mum and dad or you can disobey it. You can also obey... God and the gospel or you can disobey it this is a command to obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus what have you done with the gospel obeyed it or disobeyed it you see you can't say well I wasn't one of the chosen so therefore (laughs) we've been going through that on Tuesday nights what Where does that shift the blame to if I'm not one of the chosen, therefore I'm not going to get saved? That shifts the blame to God, and there's no way that that's going to be the case. We have a will, and we choose. The responsibility is completely on our shoulders. Receive or reject, obey or disobey. 
And woe be to the theologians that present this sort of shifting of the responsibility unto God and blame him. Right back to Augustine. And the other guy that taught him that from Alexandra. What was his name? Hmm. I can't think of his name. The infamous man. <laughs> Let's go to another thought. Um, we can believe it or we can disbelieve it. And this is also, well, where do you think this might be found? In the Gospel of John, chapter 3. In John chapter 3 and verse 18, it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. This is the two responses. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. You see, you're walking in condemnation if you're not a Christian. And you're foolishly ridiculing the message and you think it's foolishness of the gospel. He that believeth not is condemned already. You're walking in condemnation until you believe, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Have you believed? Or are you still in your unbelief and under condemnation? And there is the other thought of <clears throat> confessing. What does it say in Romans? But we are to confess with our mouth with the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved <clears throat> and what happens if we don't confess well over in the second epistle to John or of John in verse 7 it says for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh so there's confession and there's a criticism or not confessing the Lord Jesus there's only two responses you can't be on the fence and I'll decide when I'm about to die. <clears throat> As I said before, there are those that leave it and uh, in God's grace get saved, but there are those that leave it and get harder and harder and harder. And I don't know if other pastors have experienced but been, but been on the deathbed of people that have rejected all their life and then you go and try to tell them or ask them about receiving the Lord just before they die. Yeah. <laughs> it's a horrible time to be at the deathbed of an unsafe person who says that they can't talk, they usually got breathing tubes in or breathing thing in here. And you say, would you like me to tell you the gospel and know about the Lord Jesus? And they, <clears throat> like this, they just shake their head in defiance. And what does the preacher do? He tells them anyway. Because <laughs> I can't get up and hit him. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry? <laughs> yeah, right. Because, hey, listen, yeah, we've got a responsibility, haven't we? Yeah. Oh, we're not moving fast, but it's in, the gospel is important. The gospel needs to be heard. And young people listening in or sitting here tonight, you've got to make the decision. Don't leave it. Don't put it off. Don't say, I've got another day. Because a lot of people have said it and gone the next. They don't have another day, do they? And there's people in here that have 
heard people say it and I didn't have the next day that <clears throat> the response to the gospel I think it's foolish <laughs> those who believe it's redemption they are glad <laughs> we have everlasting life let's see the repugnance of worldly wisdom to God going back to verse 19 of 1 chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent God looks with contempt on worldly wisdom. It is absolutely repugnant to God, worldly wisdom. The intellectual, the scientist who thinks he knows better than God, the evolutionist who declares that it all evolved and doesn't believe in special creation, the one that believes that by chance it all come into being, you read Romans chapter 1 and see how repugnant these people are to God. It happened by mutations, not the master plan. And it defies everything that the scientists look at. <clears throat> when, you, when you hear the word mutation, what do you think? Mutant. A mess. It's not what it should be. But they say that's how it happened, it all come to being. <clears throat> Nonsense. Even the word itself, it's mutant. <clears throat> they say it's progressive, not regressive. Listen to creation scientists, and they'll say it's a regression, not a progression in evolution. <clears throat> all... <laughs> Look at the creatures of past time. They're digging them up in Australia. Now, we're, now we've got some big ones, haven't we? Have you seen the latest in Australia? The big guys. <laughs> and <clears throat> out in western Queensland and up there, they're, they're finding them now. There were some big ones here too. And we're not only the little guys. And uh, even recently, someone in Florida said, oh, look, we had a dinosaur running through our backyard. So come on. Don't know if it's a bit of film. What do you call it? Yeah, photoshopping or whatever they call it. Oh yeah, I showed Joshua. I said, "What does that look like?" Oh, he said, "A dinosaur, a little fella, <laughs> running through someone's backyard, caught on a film." I thought, "No, they're not around." <laughs> but it pictured like that. But these things that in the past have been huge and gigantic. They, they say we've progressed, but what has happened to all these things? We've regressed. We've regressed. There's so many things that are not around now. Oh, it happened through a comet hitting the planet. No. And they say our gene pool is getting smaller and smaller. And eventually mankind is going to be no longer. That's what they're telling us. The repugnance of worldly wisdom before God. Let's look at Isaiah 29. We've got to get this one finished because I want to quote from Vol Voltaire. Um, back in Isaiah 29 and verse 13 to 16. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips do honour me, He's talking about Israel, but have removed their heart from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. The worldly wisdom, you see, foolishness, repugnant to God. 
Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvellous work among this people, even a marvellous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of the, their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Woe unto those who seek deeply to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us? <laughs> And who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him who made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say to him who framed it, he had no understanding? Does your car ever tell you, no man made me? Not yet. <laughs> Does your computer tell you that yet? <laughs> no. You know a man made it. <laughs> Will it in the future? They might try to make something like that, but this is what it's saying. It's talking about the potter here. And, but man's got to that point that they, God didn't make us. We evolved. And that's what, you know, the repugnance of this to God. It's not a foolishness. They are disclaiming God. <laughs> they are saying, no, we don't want to know him. And the repudiation of worldly wisdom back in Corinthians and verse 20, where is the wise, where is the scribe, where is the disputer of this age? He named three of them. Hath not God made the foolish the wisdom of this world? Yes, he has. The three people he, he, he named he named here. Paul called on three men to bear witness. The wise, or the expert, the scribe, the interpreter and writer, and the disputer, the philosopher and debater. He asked them one question. Through your studies in man's wisdom, have you come to know God in a personal way? And they must all answer, no, we haven't. The fact that they laugh at the cross and consider it foolishness is evidence they are all perishing, the whole three of them. And Paul quoted what we just read in Isaiah 29 in verse 19, proving that God has written a big zero failure over the wisdom of men. In his address on Mars Hill in Acts 17:13, Paul dared to tell the philosophers that Greek and Roman history were but times of this ignorance of mankind. He was not suggesting they knew nothing because Paul knew too well that these Greek thinkers had made some achievements. However, their wisdom did not enable them to find God and experience salvation. <clears throat> and in Isaiah 19, in Isaiah 19 and verse 11 to 13, it says there, Surely, and he's talking about Egypt, and the world's talking a lot about Egypt and the history and they're studying it and they're digging up graves and how wonderful Egypt is. Surely the prince of Zoan are fools. The counsel of the wise counsellors of Pharaoh has become brutish or stupid. How say ye unto Pharaoh, I am the son of the wise, the son of ancient kings? Where are they? Where are thy wise men? And let them tell thee now, and let them know what the Lord of hosts hath purposed upon Egypt. The princes of Zoan are become fools. The princes of Nophor, Memphis, are deceived. They have also seduced Egypt 
even they that are that that are the stay of the tribes. The Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit in the midst of it, and they have caused Egypt to err in every work of it, as a drunken man staggereth in his vomit. Neither shall there be any work for Egypt which he hath which the head or tail branch or rush may do. And so what he's saying though Egypt claims to be wise, they are fools. They're all the people, even today, are digging up and spending multiple millions of dollars in all that they do. Where is the wisdom of the wise? Where is the wisdom of Egypt? All their mummified bodies. <laughs> and they mummify them, and they put all their gold and all the things they put next to them. What's happened to all this? What have the invaders done? What have the, the tomb invaders done? And they, hey, that guy's dead. He can't do anything to us. His God's not going to protect him. They go and invade the, the grave, and so would I if I was an unsaved man. <laughs> and take the gold and take the jewels and run with it. And the, the tombs have been invaded. The only tombs that haven't been invaded is the ones that the robbers couldn't find. You say, you wouldn't do that, Pastor. I, I would if I was unsaved. I'd be tempted if I was saved. <laughs> but, but it's all, it's all gone. Leave the mummy there. I wouldn't touch him. <laughs> He's of no value. <laughs> He's dead and gone. His soul and spirits wait in judgment. <laughs> they're dead. They're gone. And they're waiting in judgment. But the stuff that they took with them has not gone with them and won't help them in eternity. Even the dead slaves and whatever they took or killed with them, it, it's all of no avail. <clears throat> I like what I found here in Voltaire, a French philosopher. You've heard of him. He predicted in 1776, around the age he lived, that in a hundred years from that date, there would be no Bibles left in the earth, on the earth, within a hundred years. He was a French philosopher. But within 50 years of his death, 50 years of his death, <laughs> the Evangelical Society of Geneva used his house to store the Bibles to spread around the world. Because one of his relatives who inherited his house got saved and used his place to store Bibles. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> he wasn't there to see it. He wasn't there to see it. But rallies that have gone on into eternity might have been able to share it with him. And you know what? He's probably glad that it happened. Because remember the fellow that died that had five brothers? He said, oh, that someone would go back and tell him not to come to this place. He became evangelical, though he couldn't go back and tell them. Uh, <clears throat> and did you know that the best-selling book in the world still is what? In the last 50 years, 4 billion Bibles have been sold in the 4 billion Bibles. What's the population of the world, by the way? 7 point something billion people. 
four billion Bibles have been sold in the last 50 years. And the closest to it is Mao Zedong's, whatever his thing was. Yep. And he, his is 820 million. And what's the population of China? 1.4. So not everyone in China's read that, so they're not all pleased with it. Or it's probably compulsory reading in school there. But, <clears throat> and, and, and the next one down from that, the most read book, guess what? It's the devil's book, Harry Potter's, oh, yeah. at 400 million. The Bible is still the most read book. It's the most criticised by the critics, by the evolutionists and by the philosopher, the French philosopher, who said it would be obsolete and unread, but it's still the most popular read. Even with all the, the electronics and things, you know you can go onto your phone and it's on the phone. It's everywhere. You can look it up and you can quote a little bit of Bible and it come up on your phone. Ah, the devil wants it to be obliterated. Unsaved people hate it, but it's still there. You see, they tried to repudiate the word of God in their worldly wisdom, but God will have it to be so and to be here. What is God doing with worldly wisdom? He who sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and he shall make it foolish. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world like volatile? <laughs> For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. The world in wisdom knew not God. Let's just close with Romans, just one chapter. <clears throat> no, a few verses from chapter 1. The world by their sort of wisdom knew not God. Verse 24, just a few bits of quotes from there. Verse 24, wherefore God gave them up to uncleanliness because they didn't want to know God in the previous verses. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up to vile affections. Why? Because they obviously didn't want to know God. And in verse 28, God gave them over to their reprobate mind to do the things that are not convenient. God gave them up. God gave them over to what they wanted to do. They didn't want to know God, as it says in verse 21 to 23, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They were foolish, saying there is no God. Neither were thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to become wise, they become fools. Foolishness, God said, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. What happens when man rejects God and the wisdom of the gospel and follows his own wisdom? They know not God. And hell and disease and death await them. The wages of sin is, is death. And these diseases follow them that follow that way. Ah, I pray you're glad that you know the Lord. Follow him. He's the way to life and eternity. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your, the truth of your word.
Thank you for the wonderful gospel that we heard and believed and obeyed and trusted. And I pray that if there's anyone here tonight or listening in that has not obeyed, believed, trusted the gospel, may they do that tonight. The gospel is the death, the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that he died for their sins. They are sinners and they need to believe that Jesus Christ did this for them and their sin. Repent and turn and trust and receive everlasting life. They cannot work. They need to believe. We need to believe. We all need to believe for we are under condemnation and that they might receive life eternal from the Lord Jesus as a gift not to be worked for and be one of your children bless with salvation Lord we can't make people nor do you make people you invite people to come to know you we ask and pray you work in lives and hearts today and tonight even right now in Jesus name Amen